God bless you, my beloved. Good morning. This is Minister S.M. Crockett, Jr. with Jesus Christ, our Lord, Christian Fellowship. Coming to you with the second of our week, two weekly installments of the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. We're going to continue where we left off on Thursday. That was talking about the apostle. Remember Ephesians 4.11 talks about what some people call the five-fold ministry. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. And some people lump the pastor, the teacher into one, but some people call it the five-fold ministry. Okay. All right. So we're on the apostle. There's a lot of information, a lot of good information. Uh, we said, doesn't mean everybody agrees, but we said there are no foundational apostles uh, anymore because the foundation of the church has been laid. Bible says you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. And then we are built up a holy temple unto God, Ephesians 2, 22, 21. So there are no foundational apostles because the foundation has been laid. And again, I gave the analogy, if you build a home and if it takes you three months to build it, or if it takes the construction company three months to build a home or any other edifice, it doesn't take them three months to build the foundation. It might take a week or two to build the foundation, and then the rest of the time is building upon the foundation. All right. So we said there are no foundational apostles, but we said, and again, this is not what all Christians say. You're never going to get all Christians to agree on all things. Okay. Uh, uh, we said it doesn't mean there are no apostles today, but it does mean there are no foundational apostles. The foundational apostles were the, those who laid the foundation of the church. The foundational apostles would include those who, um, um, whose writings and preaching uh, um, created the New Testament. What we have is the New Testament. Matthew was an apostle. We have the gospel according to Matthew. John was an apostle. We have his gospel, three epistles, and the book of Revelation. So that's, that's six books right there. Five from John, one from Matthew. That's six. The New Testament has 27 books. So that means we still have to account for... 21, <clears throat> excuse me, 21 books. Paul wrote about 13, depending on if you believe he wrote the book of Hebrews, which I do believe that he wrote it. So if Paul wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, you take Paul's 13. Let me see here. I'm not really good in math. But if you take Paul's 13, if you take John's 6, that's 19. Then James wrote one, his epistle. Peter wrote two epistles. Jude wrote one. So we got 13, 6, 19, plus 4 is 23. All right, so then we have, we have Mark, who was not an apostle. He was, an, he was a disciple of Peter. We have Mark's gospel. We have Luke's gospel. Luke was the only Gentile to write one of the books of the Bible. All of the other books were written by Jewish men. So we have Mark's gospel. We have Luke's gospel. All right, so we have 13, 6 is 19, 20, 2, 3, 4, 5. We're missing two books. What are they? Okay, let's see if we can figure it out. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We've got those. All right, Acts. All right, Ruth. Okay, Luke wrote two books. Sorry about that. Luke wrote uh, his gospel, and he wrote uh, the Acts of the Apostles. All right, so now we need one more book. So we got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, written by Luke. <coughs> Excuse me. Then we have uh, Romans, written by Paul. Then we have 1st and 2nd Corinthians, written by Paul. We have Galatians, 
written by Paul. We have Ephesians, written by Paul. Philippians, written by Paul. Colossians, written by Paul. <laughs> uh, what, first and second Thessalonians, they, you know, as children, people learn to, to, to recite the whole Bible, but I didn't grow up in the church, so I cannot even recite the 23rd Psalm, so. All right, so then we have first and second, first and second Thessalonians, written by Paul. First and second Timothy, written by Paul. Titus, written by Paul. Philemon, written by Paul. Um, um, Hebrews, my favorite book of the Bible, probably written by Paul. James, written by James. Uh, first and second Peter. Uh, three epistles of John. Jude and the Revelation. So I think the problem is here, we probably need to give one more book to Paul. So let's say Paul wrote 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament. We've got 14 plus 6 is 21, 22, 23, 24, and then 327. That gives us the 27 books of the New Testament. So Paul wrote 14, probably, at least 13, but probably 14. All right. Then we've got five books written by John. Three epistles, one gospel, revelation, right? Then we've got uh, James. We've got Jude, two epistles written by Peter. Mark, who was really a disciple of Peter. John Mark, he's the one that when Paul and Barnabas were traveling together on a missionary journey, something happened as far as persecution is concerned, and John Mark uh, got scared. And then Paul said, I don't want to take him with us anymore because he's, he got scared, like, you know, to, to phrase it the best way I can. So that's John Mark. So his gospel is the gospel according to Mark. All right. Luke wrote two books. He wrote his gospel, the gospel according to Luke. He's the only Gentile author in the Bible. And then we have uh, Luke wrote the book of Acts or the Acts of the Apostles. All right. So that gives us 27 books in the New Testament. 27 books in the New Testament. All right. So having said that, after we pray, we're going to go back into um, uh, talking about the fivefold ministry in the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're going to spend some time again on the apostle. Once we leave the apostle, we'll go to the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher, and then we'll keep it moving from there. Let us pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we come to you because you are the only true and living God. Un any other gods we go to, Lord, cannot help us, cannot heal us cannot save us, cannot redeem us, cannot forgive us, cannot empower us, Lord, to do the works that you have called us to do. They cannot because they are all idols. They are all the works of men's sinful, wicked minds and imaginations. But you, O oh Lord, you, O oh Lord, the Lord our God is one God. Thank you, Lord, for opening the eyes of our understanding. Thank you for grafting us in as Gentiles, for grafting us into the, the, the olive tree, Lord, the olive tree based on Israel's rejection of your dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We thank you, Lord, that through their unbelief, you have grafted us in. Thank you, Lord. Help us to not be high-minded about that, but help us, Lord, to walk in faith and fear and reverence of you. Open the eyes of our understanding. Let there be fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit that are the result of this teaching and preaching. And we pray that as a result of teaching and preaching all over the world, we pray that there will be fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit a manifestation of your Holy Spirit, Lord, not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit. Oh, God, blessed be your name. Forgive us for our sins. Help us, Lord God, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son. We thank you, Lord, that you are sustaining your churches in the midst of a pandemic as you sustained them in 1918 and during the Middle Ages, Lord. For the church is the body of your dear Son, Jesus. 
the resurrected body of your dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And just as you raised him from the dead, and he shall die no more. The church shall not die. The church, the true church of your dear son, uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Blessed be your name forever. Thank you for allowing us to mention your name. Help me, Lord, to, to speak truth and uh, accuracy to your people, Lord. Help me, Lord, to glorify your dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you, my beloved. Okay, we're going to talk some more this morning about the apostle. I, I, I had a um, session yesterday. You know, every now and then I'll have a session called the 12-Minute Church. And I spoke yesterday for a little bit over 12 minutes. And I talked about how true apostles of Jesus can be trusted with the church's wealth. True apostles of Jesus can be trusted with the church's wealth. All right, so I want to I want to I want to talk about that theme and then move forward a little bit more after that and then we'll close it out. Okay. So it says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 it said that after Jesus was raised from the dead, he walked the earth for 40 days, seen by above 500 disciples. After that he ascended back to heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And uh the Bible says that uh, after uh, 10 days after that came the day of Pentecost and the Lord poured out the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And, but, but as a result of pouring out the Holy Spirit, it says the Lord gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things into him who is the head, Christ. I'll stop there. That's verse 15. So I want to talk today continue to talk about the uh, the uh, first office mentioned in the fivefold ministry. There are gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, but there are five um, offices mentioned in, in Ephesians. Those offices are the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. And I did an expose of this last Sunday and now we're now we're going back to the apostle specifically and I want to talk today I want to start saying the apostle true apostles of Jesus true leaders of Jesus but I want to I want to emphasize the apostle here true apostles of Jesus can be trusted can C A N can be trusted with the uh wealth of the church true apostles of Jesus can be trusted with the wealth of the church if you go back to Acts if you go back to the Acts of the Apostles and you go back to chapter 2 at the beginning um, um, at the formation of the New Testament church, we're going to see where this trust uh, began. And when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and about 3,000 3, people got saved, it says that uh, uh, in Acts 2.43, let me go back to Acts 2.40. With many other words, Peter testified and exhorted or encouraged them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. He was encouraging them to get saved. 
be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word, that's, that's very important. Because if you don't gladly receive his word, then, then you're not going to be saved. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So notice, Acts of the Apostles emphasizes uh, what the apostles did. Then fear came upon every soul. It doesn't mean other people weren't doing anything. But it emphasizes what the apostles, it, it, the emphasis is on what the apostles did. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. So there was a spirit of generosity, of benevolence. Uh, and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. You might call it sanctified socialism if you, if you want, if that word doesn't scare you. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So you see this, uh, you see the beginning of the New Testament church marked by generosity, benevolence, trust. You had trust in the leadership. Uh, people started selling their goods and bringing the proceeds and laying, it's going to say in chapter 4, laying the proceeds at the apostles' feet. It says in the Ephesians, in Acts, excuse me, in Acts 4, uh, let me start at uh, verse 33. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there any among them who, uh, among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses sowed them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sowed and laid them at the apostles' feet. So here we have this trust, we have this generosity, we have this benevolence. We don't have stinginess here. Um, there is some trickery. It, it, it shows up in the next chapter with Ananias and Sapphira. Right, but here we have generosity. We have people willing to part with their earthly, their worldly goods. And it says they brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. They're not worshiping the apostles, but they're trusting the apostles as leaders in, in, in the New Testament church. They laid them at the apostles' feet, and they, the apostles, distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is called, um, which is called translated son of encouragement or son of consolation, it will say in the King James, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. He went on to become a secondary apostle. He's not one of the original 12. But Barnabas is, is also mentioned in the book of Acts as being an apostle. So that, that goes along with the idea that there are, no found, there are no more foundational apostles because the foundation of the church has been laid. It was laid about 2,000 years ago. But it doesn't mean that there are no secondary apostles because, again, I, I have to tell you, I don't know what the Lord is doing around the world. So for me to say there are no apostles today, that would be a bit arrogant of me to say that. I barely know what's going on at my home address, <laughs> much less what's going on in um, Namibia, in, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, 
in Russia, uh, uh, in the Sudan, uh, in Latin America. I, I can't say there are no apostles. And I'm, you know, others can say that, and that's between them and God and the people who listen to them. I'm not going to say that. I will say there are no foundational apostles because the foundation has already been laid. You don't, you don't, you don't build a building and, and, and keep laying the foundation while you're still building the building. You lay the foundation first, and then you build upon it. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians. He says, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and now others have built upon it and let everyone take heed how they build upon that foundation for other foundation can no one lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus said to Peter, uh, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus said to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my father in heaven. And I say unto you, you are Peter, Petros, a rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, was Jesus saying he's going to build the whole church just upon Peter? No. He was saying it what Paul eventually said through the Holy Spirit in Ephesians, that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. At that point, Jesus was speaking to Peter because Peter had spoken the messianic prophetic truth that Jesus is the Messiah. And so Jesus said, now upon what you just said and what the other apostles are going to say and teach and die for, I will build my church. I'm not building it upon the, the stale leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians. I'm going to build my church. Jesus said, my church, not our, not, not our church, not the bank's church, not the Catholic church, church's church. Not, not the you know, selfish Protestant church's church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell, death itself, the grave itself, will not prevail against it. So, I will, so he's, he's not, he wasn't saying he's building the church just upon Peter. He's saying he would build the church upon Peter's confession of faith and what the other apostles would preach and teach. Because in Ephesians 2.20, you are built upon the foundation of the apostles, plural, and prophets, plural, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So without the chief cornerstone, the, the, you have no stability. Jesus is, is not only the head of the church, he is the chief cornerstone. Glory to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All right. So having said that. True apostles can be trusted with the wealth of the church. There was a scripture that I mentioned yesterday that I think is pivotal to what I'm trying to say here. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul, who wrote a, a, about half of the New Testament, let's give him 14 books. If you, if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and then verse 12, Paul is going to say, Truly the signs of an apostle. Remember, to be an apostle of Jesus, you had to have a ministry of signs and wonders and divers miracles. You had to. You had to have witnessed the resurrected Christ. It didn't mean you had to be there when he rose from the dead. The first one he appeared to was Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. You didn't have to be there when he came out of the tomb, but you had to be a witness of his resurrection before he ascended back to heaven in, in the case of the original apostles. And then when he met Paul on the road to Damascus, he interrupted Paul's um, um, maniacal persecution 
of the New Testament church. So if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12, Paul, who often had to defend his ministry, he often, people think that, you know, that everybody loved Paul and oh, Paul, Paul, Paul. No, everybody did not love Paul, 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 Paul. <laughs> no, they didn't. Many people despised him, hated him, did not, did not believe in him, including people in some of the churches that he founded. Uh, it reminds me of what the Lord said about the children of Israel and Isaiah. The Lord, in, in the first chapter, the Lord said, I have raised up children and they have rebelled against me. And if any of you are a parent and you have children, you may be able to identify that. The Lord said, I have raised up children and they have rebelled against me. That, that it, can, it, can like, it can be like a knife in your heart. But, but you got you to gotta move on. You got to keep it moving. Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. They were bringing handkerchiefs from Paul's body and putting the handkerchiefs on people when people were being healed. Peter would walk and his shadow would, would uh, fall on people and they would get healed. That's apostolic ministry, glory to the Lamb of God. So, the, uh, so to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, you had to have signs, wonders, divers, miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to God's will, etc. All right. Now, Paul says, For what is it wherein you were inferior to other churches, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you? One thing as an apostle you wanted to be careful of, even though you were an apostle and you were um, um, imbued, I guess the word is, with tremendous power. I think about, I think about what Lincoln, President Lincoln said during the Civil War. He said, I am the president of the United States clothed with immense power. The president of the United States has been clothed with immense power by the Constitution. He doesn't have all power because of checks and balances. We have a Supreme Court. We have a Congress. But the president of the United States is clothed with immense power. The problem is, hint, hint, some people, some presidents don't know how to use that power. And there are some who thought that President Lincoln uh, abused his power. And that you, you always get that. No matter who's president, JFK, Obama, Johnson, Andrew, or LBJ, people, there are going to be some who think he's abusing his power. And when, one day when we have a female president soon, um, it'll be the same thing. There, there are going to be some who say, well, she's abusing her power. But Lincoln said, I am the president of the United States clothed with immense power. So Paul is saying that same thing here, but he says, but we want to be careful not to abuse that power. We don't want to abuse God's people because they're God's people. Feed my, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Don't fleece my lambs. Don't fleece my sheep. For what is it wherein ye were inferior to other churches, except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you. Forgive me this wrong. Now, here's the verse I wanted to get to in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul said, verse 14, Behold, the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not seek, I, and I will not be burdensome to you. He says it again. I don't want to be burdensome to you. I don't want to abuse my apostolic authority. He says, I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but you. I seek not yours, but you. You. 
He's saying, I, I don't come to you with a spirit of covetousness. I don't come to you seeking to spiritually rape, molest you. I don't come to you trying to um, make merchandise. The Bible uses the term, I believe it's in Second Peter, it may be in Jude. Uh, I, I'm not trying to make merchandise of you. I'm not trying to use you to enrich, to aggrandize myself. See, that's a true apostle. You have great apostolic power given to you by the Lord Jesus Christ, but you don't want to abuse. And as leaders, whether you're a teacher in the school, a principal, or you're a politician, a president, or a congressperson, or if you're in the church, a pastor, a bishop, an apostle, prophet, evangelist, whatever the case is, a parent, you have to be careful not to abuse the authority that you have. Peter talks about it in his first epistle in chapter 5. Peter tells the elders, he says, the elders uh, who are among you, um, don't lord it over God's people. Don't do that because you're going to have to answer to the chief shepherd. When the chief shepherd shall appear, if you do a good job, you'll receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. But Peter made the point in First Peter chapter 5. He says, not lording it, L-O-R-D-I-N-G, not lording it over God's people. You have to be careful. Because when you're given this authority, if you're not careful, you can abuse it. You can use it to aggrandize, to enrich yourself at the expense of God's people. Uh, that's, that, was a, that was a predominant theme in the Old Testament, woe unto the shepherd. You see it in Jeremiah and in other places. Woe unto the shepherds who don't feed God's people. Here, shepherds in the Old Testament would have been leaders, not pastors, but they would have been leaders. Woe unto the shepherds who don't feed God's people, but who rape molest, not physically rape and molest so much as um, not leading them, but aggrandizing, enriching themselves. So Paul says in verse 14, behold, the third time I'm ready to come to you and I will not seek to be burdensome to you. I will not be burdensome to you for I seek not yours, but you. Then he says something that's very profound. He says, for the children, this is the King James Version, for the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. That's a very important um, um, passage there. The, the, he says, for the children ought not to lay up. And the Greek word there is thorizo. It's where we get the word thesaurus. A thesaurus is a treasury. It's a book. Of, it's like a dictionary, except it's different in that uh, it just it, it doesn't just show what words mean as a dictionary does. It'll show you words that you can use instead of other words. It'll show you synonyms. It'll show you instead of saying such and such a word, you can say such and such a word. It'll also show you antonyms or words that are opposite. Right. So a, a, a thesaurus is a treasury of language. So the Greek word here, if you look this up in the Greek, it'll, it'll use the word tharizo, treasure, treasury, right? So Paul is saying that the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. In essence, he's saying it is not the responsibility of the people of God to enrich the leaders of God. It is the responsibility of the leaders of God to enrich the children of God. Now that's very important, especially in the days, in these days we live of the prosperity gospel. 
He is not saying that the preacher is not supposed to be paid. He's not saying that. If you go back to 1 Corinthians, I want to make that very clear. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he, he's, he says, well, let me read it to you. I don't, know, I don't want to tell you what he says and then misquote him. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, as I said, he often had to do, he had to defend his apostolic ministry because people were saying he's not an apostle. Paul, number the punk. He ain't no apostle. Look at him. He wasn't with the original apostles of Jesus. Don't believe him. Now, whether these individuals were in the church saying this or people outside of the church influencing people in the church, I don't know. I'm sure there are preachers and theologians who, who can answer that better than I can. I can look it up one day when I get a chance. But there were people who were hating on Paul. He says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Notice he has to defend. He has to defend. He has to constantly defend himself. Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Because to be an apostle, you had to have witnessed Jesus after he rose from the dead. Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? These are rhetorical questions. He already knew the answer because he, he knew he had seen Jesus on the road to Damascus. He knew it, but it didn't, it didn't mean everybody else believed it. Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal the signet, like a signet ring, the stamp of approval. You are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. He's saying to the Corinthians, the fact that you exist, the fact that this church exists, which if you go back to Acts chapter 18, it shows where Paul's missionary efforts um, resulted in the creation of the Corinthian church. He says, my defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, not just any old wife, not just a trophy wife, a believing wife? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife as do other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? The brothers of the Lord would probably be James and uh, Jude, not the James who was killed in Acts chapter 12 but the James who wrote the epistle of James right after Hebrews, and then Jude, James and Jude. Remember, Jesus was the firstborn of Mary because she was a virgin, but then she went on and had other children. And, uh, and they didn't believe in Jesus at first, but eventually at least some of them came around. So the brothers of the Lord would probably be James and Jude. Then he says, and Cephas, which would be Peter. Or is it only Barnabas and I? Remember, see, he mentions Barnabas. Barnabas is an apostle, was an apostle. He was a secondary apostle. He wasn't one of the original. He was a secondary apostle. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Paul says, I don't have to build tents. If I wanted to, I could just be supported by the ministry. I have that right. I'm an apostle clothed with immense power. As Lincoln said, I'm the president of the United States clothed with immense power. Paul said, if I wanted to, I don't have to, I, I could stop making tents. I could live off the offerings, right? But he says, he says, or is it, is it, is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war as it, at his own expense, he's showing that I could really have y'all support me if I really wanted to. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? He was he's showing a spiritual principle that those who plant have a right to eat from what uh, they they uh, have a right to eat from what grows from what they plant. 
Do I say these things as a mere man? Then he goes back to the law of Moses, not because we are under the law, but at that time, the law was the, uh, the Old Testament. What we call the Old Testament was the only Bible they had. The New Testament had not yet been written and canonized yet. So when, so when Paul or Peter or John, when, when they would um, preach, they would often have to refer, as Peter did on the day of Pentecost, he had to quote Joel, it shall come to pass. He had to quote the Psalm, Psalm 16 about the Lord said to my Lord, or Psalm 16 where the Lord promised that he would not be, uh, he would not see corruption, that he would be raised from the dead, etc. So they had to quote the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, the, the Tanakh, the, the prophets, the writings, the Psalms, etc. Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses. You shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. King James will say, tread out the corn. Paul is saying, you don't muzzle the mouth of the ox that's treading out the corn. Don't bite the hand that's feeding you. Don't muzzle the ox while it treads out the corn. Is it oxen God is concerned about, or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, it is written that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes should thresh in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things to you, here he makes the point, if we preach the gospel to you, then we have a right to receive material blessings from you. So the Bible is not saying that the preacher shouldn't be paid. The preacher should be paid. You get paid when you go to work. You, you, the preacher is, if, if, if it's a real preacher, that preacher is working, studying, praying, and, 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 and going, trying to go and exegete and see what the Bible is saying, seeing what the Greek and the Hebrew said, seeing what the culture is, trying to, trying to understand the Bible in context. I'm talking about real preachers. I ain't, I ain't talking about people who just stand up and just say anything and, and say that the Lord told them. No, I'm talking about people who really take the word of God seriously. I'm talking about um, whether they have a seminary education or not. People who, there are people who have no seminary education. There are people who didn't go beyond high school. If they did high school, who take the word of God seriously and they spend time in his word. They spend time trying to understand, you know, what was the Lord saying 2,700 years ago when the children were in Babylonian, Babylonian captivity, etc. There are people who take the word of God seriously and they spend a lot of time studying trying to get it right trying not to be uh, trying not to be in error trying to understand the Bible in the context that it was written trying to see okay well what you know what 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 what's what's the original intent here in the Greek or the Hebrew or the Aramaic so when, when people put that kind of effort forward and then they and then they give you a 30 minute sermon or an hour and a half teaching or whatever they deserve to be compensated the Bible says they do. All right. If we have sown spiritual things to you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are uh, if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? But then Paul goes on to say, nevertheless, we have not used this right, but we endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul, Paul was saying we, we have apostolic power. We have apostolic authority. But... In order to not hinder the gospel, in order to not hinder the preaching of the gospel, we're not going to use that authority. I'm going to keep making tents. I'm going to keep doing what I need to do to support myself, etc. So that money that needs to go to the poor uh, saints, etc. can go to the poor saints and support the ministry, etc. Alright, so getting back to my original point, going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses 14 and 15. He said the children ought not to lay up for the parents. 
but the parents for the children. He was saying that it is it is it is right for the preacher to be compensated. That's Bible. It's right for the preacher to be compensated. Because again, uh, you, you preachers, serious preachers. I'm talking about serious preachers. Serious. I mean, they, there, there, there are a lot of serious preachers and teachers of the Bible. They don't just get this stuff by osmosis. They don't just sit there and meditate. And and you have to study this word. You have to go. You have to dig deep. You have to ex 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 out of. You have to exegete. You have to. Oh, well, well, what what did the Lord mean here? You know what 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 is this right here? What 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 does this mean in Greek? What about the Hebrew? What was the culture? What was Jesus really saying? What what what? Help me, Lord, as a as a Westerner, someone living in the Western Hemisphere in 2020. Help me to understand what they meant. Someone living in uh, Babylon, a captive in Babylon, you know, 2,700 years ago. You know, how do I apply this and tell it to the people so it has relevance? It 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 it, it, it you have to. Pray and study. You have to ask the Lord constantly. Lord, open the eyes of my understanding. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was walking with certain disciples. He was walking right next to him, and they didn't even know who he was. He was walking on the road to Emmaus. He's walking right next to him. They don't even know who he is. And then the Bible says that he, beginning at Moses, hallelujah to the Lamb of God, beginning at Moses, Jesus explained all things in the scriptures concerning himself. And then the Bible says that he opened the eyes of their understanding. They, they did not our hearts burn. You, if the Lord doesn't open the eyes of our understanding, he could be walking right next to us and we don't even know he's there. It, we have to have that revelation. We have to have that illumination from the Holy Spirit. Uh, if I, whether I'm wearing a collar or not, I got to have it from the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit doesn't give it to me, I ain't got it. It's just like salvation. Salvation is purely a work of God. It's purely, purely, purely a work of God. It's a working of the Holy Spirit in the heart, the sinful hearts of men. Because man is a depraved sinner. And unless the Holy Spirit move in the hearts of men, we're lost. All we like sheep have gone astray. So Paul says, Paul says uh, in verse 14, the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. He's, he's saying it, it is not right for the children, or let's just use the word here, the believers, the congregation, to enrich the preacher at the expense of the children. If the preacher is living up here and the children are living way down here, it's problematic. It's problematic. Should the preacher be paid? Yes, the Bible says you, yes, yes, it's, that's biblical. That's biblical. That's biblical. But if the preacher is living way up here, if the preacher is living way up here and the people are way down here, I'm not going to get into whether a preacher has a jet and all that. I'm, I'm, I'm not. Because having a jet in 2020 is really the equivalent of having being on a ship in uh, in 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 50 um, A.D. So I'm I'm not here saying that you know the, no preacher should have a plane, a jet. No, I'm not getting into that argument because uh, having a jet today would would you have complained if Paul had a um, if if Paul got on the ship in in, uh, in in if Paul had his own ship in 50 A.D. Remember Jesus borrowed people's ships and he would sit in the ship 
and he would preach and teach, etc. So I'm not saying a preacher shouldn't uh, have a jet and all that. What I'm, what I am saying though is, if the if is if the preacher is living a life of of sheer luxury, and the congregation is struggling to eat, to live, to pay necessary bills, I think the scriptures condemn that. The scriptures don't condemn the preacher being paid. The scriptures don't condemn the preacher being well paid. But I think what the scriptures condemn is the preacher, the apostle, the pastor, the bishop, senior pastor, whatever. I think the scriptures condemn the preacher living way above the congregation. I think the scriptures do condemn that. The preacher is living way up here on the hog. And the congregation is barely getting the, the congregation, you know, is about to be evicted. I think the scriptures speak against that. Let me read it one more time, and I'm going to move on. Paul said, "I do not seek yours." See, that's important. I do not seek yours. Paul said, "I seek you." He's saying, "I seek your spiritual growth." Paul said, I'm seeking your spiritual enrichment. Paul said, I'm not coming in, sniffing around, trying to see what you have so I can take it by using some phony formula of faith and success. He says it right here. It's, it's 2 Corinthians 12 and 14. I would not be burdensome to you. The preacher should not be burdensome to the congregation. If every time the congregation looks around, the preacher's got his hand out. Every time you look around, the preachers, I've been in, I've been in ministry settings where I've seen five, six, seven offerings taken up in one meeting. You know, what I loved about Billy Graham, besides the simplicity of his message, because he was an evangelist, and as I said previously, the evangelist, you know, he's not going, you know, deep, a deep dive you know, into Romans and all that. They would make a financial appeal, and that's it. Because he had the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. They'd make a financial appeal, which they had a right to. This stuff is not free. You know, renting stadiums is not, it's not free. People seem to think the church operates on some um, money falling from heaven. No. So there are expenses that have to be paid. But they made a financial appeal. And that was it. They didn't set up, you know, a $500 line and an $800 line and a, you know, $1,600 line here. If, uh, if, if your address is 2600 Main Street, then I got a $2,600 line. Scams. Paul said, I don't seek yours. I seek you. Then he says, for the children. So his, that, that statement is a follow-up. From the previous statement, I do not seek yours, but you, for the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Then he says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. I will give myself for the, for, for, for the sake of your spiritual growth and maturity. Then he says, though the more abundantly I love you, he says, the less I am loved. That, that had to hurt him as a spiritual father. The more abundantly I love you, 
the less I am loved. Remember I said in Isaiah, the Lord said to the children of Israel, Judah, I've, I've raised up children and they have rebelled against me. That As a parent, that that's, it hurts. You raise up children and you do your best and, it's, and then your children rebel against you. It, 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 it's like a knife right in your heart. So Paul says, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. All right. No, so I'm going to move away from that subject. I believe those are my only notes on that. The apostles can be trusted with the wealth of the church. All right, my next point. Foundational apostles possessed the power to pronounce judgment. Foundational apostles possessed the power Remember, we're talking about the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, right? Ephesians 4.11, right? Foundational apostles possessed the power to pronounce judgment. There's something strange, and when I say strange, um, wonderfully strange, about Jesus uh, in John chapter 20. This is a post-resurrection passage. In John chapter 20, Jesus, our Lord, said, uh, uh, let's see, John chapter 20. I'm going to start at verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of, and said to them, peace. Now it said the doors, it says the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in the midst. He, he didn't knock. Remember in Revelation, he said, I'm knocking at the door <laughs> to the Lamb of God. John makes the point. The door was shut. We were scared. We were still trembling because, you know, they crucified Jesus. We, 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 thought, we, we thought we heard the sound of a hammer. They were, they were building crosses for us. You know, he had defied Roman authority. They crucified him, right? Because he said, I'm Lord and King. We thought they were going to come for us too. But Jesus came and stood in the midst of them. Hallelujah. He was in his resurrection body. Hallelujah. Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you as the father has sent me. I also send you. Now, this 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 next uh, verse is the one I really want to get to. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. That's going to preach one day. I can breathe. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. That's a very, um, all, you know, all scripture is powerful, but that's a very um, weighty passage there because he's conferring the authority upon the church in this case specifically the apostles he's conferring the authority to forget to be his representatives 
to forgive sin or retain sin. That's a very, 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 very weighty responsibility. For the Bible says, even Jesus' critics were correct when they said, who can forgive sins but God only? Remember when Jesus would heal people, he would say, son, your sins are forgiven you. Go and, you know, walks, go and sin no more. And Jesus' critics, you know, pre-crucifixion this is, they would they would murmur and say, hold on now, player. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to, you know, work some miracles. Now you're talking about forgiving sins. Who can forgive sins but God only? And they're right. Who can forgive sins but God only? Right? But Jesus right here says to his church, to the apostles specifically, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, this is going to be a setup for during their because during their apostolic ministry, they're going to use this authority, as I'll show you in a, in a minute. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain, right, like a retaining wall holds, holds water in, holds it back. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now that's, that's, that's apostolic authority. He's giving the apostles the authority in essence to say, to determine whose actions warrant judgment and whose don't. Whose sins will be forgiven at a certain point. And whose won't be? That's a that's a very um, weighty statement here, and then I'm going to show you a few examples of of how the apostles used this authority. Then they did use the authority, and they did use it correctly. It's an authority that has been, can be, and has been abused by both the Roman and the Protestant churches. But here, the apostles did use this authority but they used it correctly. All right, so let me read that to you again, and then I'll show you a few examples. All right, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you, peace be unto you, as the Father has sent me. Remember, Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our profession. So Jesus is the apostle of all apostles. The word apostle means sent one. The first three letters of the word apostle means from. If you look at it in the Greek, it means from. It's like a preposition, from, apostle, the, the A, A, Pi, and Omicron. Uh, Alpha, Pi, Omicron. Excuse me for mixing English in there. Alpha, Pi, Omicron. The first th three letters in apostle are the preposition from. So the word apostle means like sent from. So Jesus was sent from the Father. And now Jesus is saying, as the Father sent me, to come into the world and die for the um, sins of the world, I send you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Hallelujah. I'm going to preach that one day if God gives me a, uh, a chance. But you go ahead and do it before I do. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. But if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Glory to God. 
because Jesus knew the apostles were going to have to deal with sin in the churches. Because you're dealing with humans. You're dealing with mortal people. You're dealing with humans. Yeah, they got gifts of the Spirit and run around the church and have my mouth showing up, speak in tongues, whatever. But they're human. We're, 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 we're in the body of Christ, but we are still human. We're flawed individuals. And then also they would have to deal with people who are trying to run the game, run the scam on the church, as we'll, as we'll see in a minute. So he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. All right. So let's look at a couple of examples here. All right. Foundational apostles possess the power to pronounce judgment. Okay. I only, I only, let's see, I think I only listed one example. Let's see. Wow. I would have thought I would have listed more, but there are more examples. But let's, let's go to Acts chapter 5. There are more examples, but I only listed that one. But I, I want to try to show you at least two, if not three. Acts chapter 5. A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife. So we got Bonnie and Clyde here. Glory to God. Sold a possession. Remember in Acts chapter 4, they were selling land and houses and cashing in the 401ks and, you know, their mutual funds. And they were, they were bringing in the proceeds and laying the proceeds at the apostles' feet for the support of the ministry, right? But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, which they had a right to do. It was theirs. Peter's going to make that point it was, your, it was yours. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet like everybody else had been doing, right? But Peter said, <laughs> see, they didn't know who they were dealing with. They thought they were just dealing with, you know. But Peter, having the discernment, Right? Probably the gift of discerning of spirits, because as an apostle, you've probably got most, if not all, of these gifts of the Holy Spirit operating in your life. And one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is discerning of spirits. And that discerning of spirits is not just discerning evil, but it's also discerning, you know, good. But in this case, Peter discerns evil, evil intent, a lie, right? So Peter said, um... Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? It was your land. Why have you conceived? He and his wife plotted why have you conceived this thing in your heart? He said, you've not lied to men. You lied to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down. Why? Because the, the judgment, the apostolic authority that the Lord Jesus had given to the apostles in John 20 and 23, you see, you see it being applied right here. Then Ananias, hearing these, things, these words, fell down and breathed his last. He died. He went the way of all flesh. So great fear came upon all those. So there would be times in the New Testament church, in the early church, when God would do these things to set an example. 
right? So fear, so great fear came upon all those who heard these things, and the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. All right. It was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. She came in with her, you know, red bottom shoes on or whatever. She came in all confident that, you know, she and her husband had run the perfect scam on the church, right? It was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Like they say on law and order. Now, be careful how you answer. <laughs> be careful how you, you're under oath, right? Be careful how you answer, right? Perjury, right? Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together with her husband to test, to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Hace la vista. <laughs> right? Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. So this, this is that, that, that authority, that apostolic authority that Jesus conferred upon the foundational apostles of the church. Right? And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church. See, God would do things like this to set an example to the church, to let them know that these apostles are not just a bunch of bootleg preachers, and that Jesus, this preaching about Jesus is not just some fantasy here. They're preaching about a living Savior who has all power in his hands, not black power and certainly not white power, all power in his hands in heaven and earth. All right, and the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And through the hands of the apostles, remember this book is called The Acts of the Apostles. Through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. porch. There are a couple of other examples that I wanted to show you that goes along with that same thing. I didn't write them down, but I, I do know that they do exist. Uh, it was the one where when Paul got saved. Uh, let's see. Okay, let's go to Acts chapter 8. There was a certain man named Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city. He astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. He was, he was operating in demonic manifestations, but he had the people bamboozled, hood, uh, hoodwinked, let him up, right? And they heeded him because he had astonished them. With this. Oh, sorry about that, Papa. Pick it up. Pick it up. And put it back right here. Put, put it back right here. Put, put it right here. All right. There you go. Thank you. Be careful. You're going you're gonna to trip over that cord. This man is the great power of God, and they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Now watch this. Then Simon the sorcerer himself also believed. And when he, had, and when he was baptized, so he believed and he was baptized. 
he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. So it appears that in the New Testament church, the beginning of phases of the church, only apostles could lay hands on people.